Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Noah. With a reading like that, of course it feels wrong to come up here and preach. Uh, so thank you for bringing the scripture alive. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Jordan Green. It's great to end the 2017 year with you. Um, as a side note, just so that you guys know, um, I, I had the distinct privilege of preaching and speaking with you guys the first of this year, January 1st, 2017, and now the last day of this year. Um, and I don't know, it's just fun. <laughs> All right, well, before we get started, um, I feel like I have to do a little bit of show and tell with you guys, and so I hope uh, that's all right. You guys know uh, that I consider you family, um, and I just, I can only assume that you consider me family as well. Um, so do, so if you would allow me to tell you a little bit about our Christmas, because it was definitely unique as we welcomed this uh, nine-pound, two-ounce baby girl, Allison Noel Green, yeah, 11 days old today. Uh, it was truly an authentic Christmas, if I have to say, right? The waiting, the pain, the joy, the ever so not so silent nights. Um, but we, we are truly thankful. Um, and the, for those of you that are going to ask, I know you're going to ask, uh, no, she is not sleeping during the night. Uh, wake every couple hours. Yes, we are slowly losing our minds. Uh, but also, yes, Avery is quite um, the big sister. <laughs> Um, I know many of you have been praying for us um, and thanking us and supporting us, and so I just wanted to give you an update. Thank you for letting me do that. Thank you for your prayers and for your support. Um, we really are blessed. Uh, if any of you would like to take the night shift at our house, <laughs> sign-ups will be in the lobby. Um, <laughs> All right, the Gospel of John, shall we? <laughs> well, this Christmas, we have spent five weeks diving into the first chapter of John's gospel, exploring the significance of this Christmas story when God took on flesh. And John has given us witness, right? Telling us about Jesus. The Word, right? Our image is up here. The Word was from the beginning, which is in fact God itself. The light which exposes and conquers darkness. The light which reflects the life. The flesh, that reveals the very glory of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But now, in our passage today that Noah read for us, John is doing something so different, isn't he? Because he's no longer telling us exactly who Jesus is. No, these 17 verses are meant to transition us from the prologue, from John telling us who Jesus is, towards chapter 2, where we, we find the actual beginning of Jesus' signs and works and teachings and where they start. So we come to our passage today, two stories covering two days, recounting what happens when people meet this Jesus. Because you see, John is no longer telling us who Jesus is, but as we come alongside these first followers, he is inviting us to see for ourselves and to make up our own mind. And I think that's really the essence of Christmas, isn't it? It's an invitation, an invitation for us to believe. And not just belief in general, but an invitation to believe that God came to earth. An invitation to believe in the very person of Jesus. But what would it actually look like if this word became flesh? I mean, if we just look at how John has described Jesus, we're given an enormously lofty picture, right? John the Baptist himself says, the sandals of which I'm not worthy to tie. So what would it look like 
if this lofty God came to earth? I mean, we'd probably king him, right? And in fact, from this first encounter with Jesus here and Nathaniel and Peter and Andrew to Jesus' enthronement on the cross where Pilate inscribes king above his head, we are presented with Jesus as the king. But what sort of a king is he? And is he a king worthy of our allegiance? These are the questions that I want us to ponder this morning. Uh, and I think it is so important because if we do truly believe that Jesus is our king, as we see, as we're presented with, then he deserves, right, our allegiance, our loyalty, our trust. If Jesus is our king, then we are called to participate in his kingdom by doing what he does. We've heard what John has had to say about Jesus. But now, as the story unfolds, we actually meet Jesus. And we get to see if this guy is all he's cracked up to be. John's inviting us to take a look for ourselves at this king and make up our own mind. Is he a king worthy of our allegiance? So this morning, I'd like to simply walk through these two stories, these two days recorded at the end of John, as we observe ourselves, what this king is like, and what the significance might be for our own lives and for our very world. So if you do have your Bibles, I'd love for you to read with me. Read along with me because what we find in this first story is that Jesus is the king who invites. All right, and we pick up, we pick up our story from last week where Tom shared the significance of John the Baptist's testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a message, what a proclamation, what a hope for us. And during this next day, while walking with some of his own disciples, John the Baptist sees Jesus again. And he says, look, the Lamb of God. But this time, two of his own disciples decide to leave John and to follow Jesus. And that's got to be hard for JB. I mean, John the Baptist losing two of his own disciples I mean, you or I would probably get upset if we lost just one Twitter or Instagram follower, those of us who have Twitter or Instagram. Um, but can you just imagine John losing two people who've walked with him, who've talked with him, who've been with him to follow someone else? But you see, John knows something, right? He knows that he's not the Messiah. He is not the king to be followed. And so the way that John, the gospel writer, we've got two Johns, the way John, the gospel writer, tells it, these two men, they just start following Jesus. No words are exchanged. Uh, so that at some point, Jesus is just walking along and he must notice these two people tailgating him, right? I mean, he take, it's, it's just comical to imagine. He, Jesus takes a step, they take a step. Jesus takes a step, they take a step. At some point, he's like, uh... And that's the way John tells it to us, right? So Jesus turned, saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? These are Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John. The one through whom all things were created turns and asks, what are you seeking? And it's both practical and highly personal. Essentially, he's saying, right, why are you following me? Why do I have this shadow? <laughs> what are you looking for by following me? This question is asked throughout the Gospel. And as readers today, it's meant to challenge us to think about what we really want. So I have to ask you this morning, 
Why do you, if you do, follow this man from Nazareth? What are you seeking? As we come to a new year, it's a time of reflection, right, and of anticipation. What do you want right now? What did you want last year? Did you get it? Do you want to get well, lose weight, exercise more? Do you want success at your job or maybe a new job? Do you want your marriage to be different? Kids, what do you want? Because Jesus is asking you as well. And it's a big question, isn't it? You can almost hear the disciples. Um, how much time you got, Jesus? Because <laughs> I've got a list. You see, if we believe that Jesus is the king, then we believe he should show us the best possible way to live. He has the answer to any and, any, to any and every question we might have, to any and everything we might be looking for. So they ask of Jesus, where are you staying? Because this could take a while. Jesus' response, Jesus' response is classic. He says, come and see. Because the king's response is an invitation. So John writes, So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. Or four in the afternoon. That's about what it comes out to. Jesus answers their question by inviting them to come and to see. And John, he's emphasizing this time of day because he wants you and I to know that they weren't just asking, hey Jesus, what Airbnb, what Airbnb are you staying at, right? Did you find a good one? Does it have good ratings, a little mint on the pillow? No. John wants us to see that this invitation is to spend time with Jesus, and it is so significant. I mean, what is Jesus doing here? It should shock us. And we cannot miss it because Jesus does not simply disseminate information. That's not what Christianity is about. No, Jesus extends hospitality. This is the sort of king that he is. And hospitality was a major practice in the Greco-Roman world. We don't quite understand it today. Oftentimes we've watered it down. We think of hospitality, we think of hotels and, you know, being a member and getting the nice perks. But hospitality wasn't just inviting someone over for dinner, and that's it. Uh, of course, hospitality does involve food. Amen, am I right? <laughs> but it's so much more than that. You see, hospitality is about making a stranger part of the family. By inviting these two disciples to come and see where he is staying, Jesus is welcoming them into his home so that they can truly find who they are. Jesus invites them to know him, and to be known by him. And in this process, be completely transformed. Hospitality is about creating this space of belonging. It's about making a stranger part of the family. It is the distinct work of God and the unique mission of his church. These followers were strangers to this King Jesus, but through hospitality made disciples. The one who, as we read in verse 11, was not received by the world, comes and receives any who would answer his invitation. His invitation of hospitality, his invitation to know and be known. And can you just imagine this time with Jesus, right? I like to picture it. You know, I'm sure they laughed. I'm sure they told stories. They spent the day together with no time restraints. When's the last time you've had a date like that? 
all questions, concerns, desires on the table. Jesus' extension of welcoming these disciples home is the king that he is. And hospitality is extremely transformative. Personally, it's a huge part of my faith journey. Uh, Maybe it is yours as well. In high school, when I was in high school, there was an older guy named Gary Spruill. Uh, I hope he never hears this because he doesn't need a bigger head than he already has. Um, But... And you see, I, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. As I look back, I see that his hospitality transformed my life. You know, there's a lot of risk in involving and inviting a high schooler over to your house. But you see, a couple times a week, we'd be at his house after school. Sometimes uh, him or his family wouldn't even be there, um, but the door was open and unlocked, so we made our way in, made ourselves comfortable. Uh, It was always a place for my friends and I to be, a space to be together, a place to belong. (laughs) We'd laugh, play games, talk, ask questions. Once I got extremely sick there, (laughs) a space to learn from my peers and hear stories from those much further down the road of life than I was, a place to know and be known. And it's not that there was some instant where I was changed, right? Boom. Boom transformation. But it was a a place that I felt known, a place where I experienced the very tangible love and acceptance of God. And you know, your family has to love you, probably. But for someone else to treat you like family, not like a stranger, but like you've always belonged, It's extremely transformative. It's life-changing. Henry Nouwen, prolific writer and uh, and member of the the L'Arc community, writes it this way. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. It is not to lead our neighbor into a corner where there are no alternatives left, but to open a wide spectrum of options for choice and commitment. It's not an educated intimidation with good books, good stories, and good works, but the liberation of fearful hearts so that words can find roots and bear ample fruit. The paradox of hospitality is that it wants to create emptiness. Not a fearful emptiness, but a friendly emptiness where strangers can enter and discover themselves as created free. Not a subtle invitation to adopt the lifestyle of the host, but the gift of a chance for the guest to find his own. We follow a king who doesn't stand at a distance, but draws near. And this aspect of hospitality, this call to hospitality, is one of the primary calls of his church. And each one of us who follow this king, it's not optional. For those of us who experience the hospitality of God, we must extend it to others. Jesus is the king who invites us so that we might invite others. So that we might invite others. So who have you made a space for lately? No expectations, no agenda, just a space to belong, to know and be known. Who's a stranger that you've welcomed? Who's someone unlike yourself that you've tried to get to know? Because it is profoundly difficult. 
and yet an essential call for those who follow this king. How can we as a church, as a church body, welcome others? Maybe it's community groups. I hope so. (laughs) Maybe it's working with one of our ministry partners to provide community and dignity. Or maybe it's simply meeting your next door neighbors. You see, Andrew, we hear, finds his brother and brings him to the man he calls the Messiah, the Christ, the Christ who is king. Andrew brings him to Jesus and his brother is called by a new name. The king's presence has transformative impact because if you answer this invitation to the king, you will never be the same. A new name, a new identity, a new family. Jesus is the king who invites us. In the next story, we find that Jesus is the king who sees us. All right, so the day after Peter is given his new name, Jesus calls Philip. And of course, it was unusual for a rabbi to call his own disciples, but you know, there you have it. Jesus is a rather odd duck. And after meeting Jesus, this enthusiastic Philip, he finds Nathanael and he says, We found him! Of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. But Nathanael, good old Nathanael, his response is less than ideal. You see, skeptically, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the truth is, he's not wrong. (laughs) Nazareth is strikingly insignificant. It's not mentioned in any Old Testament text, the Midrash, the Talmud, nowhere. Nazareth is kind of nowhere. I mean, if you're looking for a good origin story for the Messiah, you don't go looking at Nazareth. And what's even more striking is that Philip himself, I don't know if you caught this, but Philip is completely wrong, right? I mean, in verse 1, we've already heard this from John's testimony. We find that Jesus is from the beginning, from God, not Nazareth. And he's not the son of Joseph, but the very son of God, What's going on? But, you know, I think the fact that Philip is wrong, I think that should give us, you and I, a little bit of comfort, right? Because the truth is, we don't have to have everything figured out in order to invite others to meet Jesus, do we? And then there's Nathaniel. And you've got to love Nathaniel because you've got to love a good skeptic. Maybe you have friends like this. I sure do. Oftentimes I am this friend. But someone who's always a little skeptical, who's always asking questions, who always isn't quite convinced. But it's one of the things that is amazing about John's gospel that makes it so realistic. It is full of good skeptics. And I'm not talking about those people that we find that are trying to put one over on Jesus, right? Trying to stump him. But people who truly have questions, who have doubts, and they come with them. From Nathaniel here to Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the disciples, Mary and Martha, to Thomas, Jesus loves a good skeptic, an honest skeptic, one in whom there is no deceit. Because it's real life, isn't it? I mean, doubt is natural for the believer and the unbeliever alike. We have questions, we have doubts, and we should honestly wrestle through them, and we should find people who don't push it away but accept it, listen, and discuss it, who bring our our doubts and concerns to Jesus. Because what's fascinating about how this particular story unfolds 
is Philip doesn't go in automatically in a, to prepare a defense for the Nazarene. I mean, he isn't worried about the difficulty of the question. Rather, he extends an invitation to a personal encounter to come and see. And in a world of debate, the greatest apologetic is to simply come and see. I mean, I haven't seen too many people who've been transformed by clever arguments, though it's necessary and an important part of belief, but rather by encountering the transformative power of Jesus and those who call him their king. And the majority of our witness, even today, is not necessarily defending Jesus. I mean, he can kind of take care of himself, right? But it's inviting people to come and see. Now, as a short aside, I do want to talk about this this invitation to come and see and what it might mean for us today. Because if you're like me, I can hear my inner skeptic starting starting to raise its head, right? Because it sounds a lot like the Doubting Thomas. You remember this guy, right? The one who needed to see to believe. As the story goes, Jesus meets him. He shows him the scars in his hands. And then Jesus proclaims, because you have seen me, you, Thomas, have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I think Jesus is talking about you and I. Those who haven't seen the resurrected body. So what can it mean for us today to come and see? Three short comments. First, and first and foremost, this is an invitation to keep reading John's gospel. John wrote this for those who weren't there, for us. Just as he says, on the heels of, his, of Jesus' words to Thomas, he says, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing you may have life in his name. So we have to keep reading. It's an invitation to encounter Jesus in the pages of scripture. And then second, there is something definitely intangible and mysterious about it. When we read the scriptures, pray, bring ourselves before our risen Lord, his very spirit meets us and communes with us. And it is not something we can discount. And then thirdly, The hospitality that God shows us, we tangibly extend to others. Because if, if as Paul says, we are the representation of Christ, then the invitation to come and see is to come and see his bride, the church. Of course, it does beg the question, are we living up to this calling of invitation? So in John, we find that Nathaniel takes up this invitation of hospitality Nathaniel takes up the invitation to come and see and in the process becomes the one who is seen. Nathan's bewilderment that he first had replaces his skepticism. As Jesus sees Nathaniel walking towards him, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And have you ever been caught off guard by someone knowing something about you without you telling them? Because it can be unsettling, a little confusing. I mean, not long ago, I was on the phone with my mom, as I usually am. And she says, hey, did you have fun at Josh's the other day? And at first, I'm like, mom, I'm 30. Why are you checking up on me like that? But then I think, wait a second. How do you know this? 
Who have you been talking to? Who's been talking about me? (laughs) Nathaniel's confused, right? He responds, how do you know me? How do you know me? Who have you been talking to? Or better yet, who's been talking about me? But Jesus' answer is then even more puzzling. (laughs) Before Philip called you, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And it's this odd exclamation that causes Nathanael to exclaim, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Skepticism gone, replaced by belief. This would have been such a huge claim because it was definitely the question of the day. It was the charge for which Pilate wrote on the cross and people continually asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Christ, the king? They would take him and they would try to king him or they would pick up stones to stone him for that very cause. Because you see, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire stretched over much of the known world. And in the empire, there was only one Lord, Caesar. So rumblings of a king, a king of the Jews, was cause for concern. For us today, saying Jesus is king loses a little bit of its punch. But for Nathaniel, to claim that Jesus is king, to believe that Jesus is king, what does that belief mean? It means that his allegiance, his loyalty, his trust is first and foremost towards Jesus. Is that what our belief is like today? When we call Jesus our king? So when we are asked to believe in Jesus, it's not some ethereal belief. Oh, I believe in Jesus. No, it is a subversive proclamation that Jesus actually reigns. He does. And that we live under and we order our lives under his authority as a king. And we participate in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It is profound. It is life transformative. Because this king is a king like no other. Kings didn't come to their people, right? People came to the king. The king deserved the honor. Kings were obsessed with power, with money, with prestige. But that's not the sort of king that Jesus is. He's the king that invites his people to know him and his ways. He is the king who sees and knows his people. And for me, I can't help but think of Lord of the Rings. I know I have a problem. (laughs) But it fits so well. Tolkien is such a genius. And, And, you know, for me, Tolkien's stories, they give new and fresh contours to the biblical story and help me to understand it so, so well. So if that's a plug for Tolkien and all his literature, good. So you have Aragorn, right? The true king, who doesn't go after power, no. He's not even enthroned until he passes through death itself. And you can just hear the scriptural echoes of John embedded in this narrative. I just love it. But what gets me about Aragorn, what gets me about Aragorn is that no one is outside of his care and concern. No, not the mightiest of men or the smallest of hobbits, None are outside of being seen and counted worthy by the king. See, we serve a king who not only invites us to know him, but also to be known by him, to be seen by him. And in being seen, we see who he really is. 
John wrote his gospel that we may believe. That we would know Jesus is the king. Not through force, right? That's what Caesar does. That's how he gathers followers. No, in Jesus' kingdom, we find followers seeing and being seen. Proclaiming what they found and inviting others to take a look. To make up their own mind. A little later, in a couple chapters, Jesus is going to meet a woman at a well. She's going to be so transformed that she'll go back to her town and say, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus is the king who sees us that we might see him. I don't know what you and I will face this next year. What joys or challenges will be coming our way? I know the sleepless nights I have ahead of me. But what I do know is that we serve a king who sees us, who cares for us, who knows everything I ever did, and yet, in spite of that, invites me to know him and be known by him. Do you believe in this sort of a king? Do you follow this king who reigns? Well, our story ends with Jesus as he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And here, he switches to the plural you. We don't really have a word for this in English, except, you know, in these parts, and we say y'all. But Jesus is no longer talking just to Nathaniel, but to all who would believe. He says, you who will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what a weird story. (laughs) It's strange, but the significance cannot be lost on us. You see, in Genesis 28, 10 through 19, Jacob, the father of a nation, fell asleep in a certain place. And while asleep, he saw angels ascending and descending upon some stairs. When he woke, he was convinced that the place he slept must have been sacred, a thin place where heaven and earth met. And Jacob, he named this place Bethel, or the house of God. Jesus says to Nathaniel, to the disciples, and to readers like you and I, come and see. Heaven has smashed into earth from the very place where they meet. You know, I love Christmas time because there's just something about Christmas that makes us look for home, right? We have countless movies and stories that tell us, do whatever you can, planes, trains, automobiles, walk, hike, hitchhike, whatever you have to do to make it home because there's no place like home for the holidays. But at Christmas, we're also drawn to another home, aren't we? The house of God come to earth. His doors are always open. And he's the king who's waiting to receive us. Jesus asks us this morning, what are you seeking? Do you want to see the Father? Here I am. Are you looking for life? Look no further. A place to belong, come. Abide in me. The dwelling place of God has come to earth. And our invitation is before us to come and see. It's the grand story of the incarnation, of revelation and reception, the ultimate act of God's hospitality towards us, to see the revelation of God and to be received by him.
It's the hope of Christmas. It's the joy of this season that we might receive the King who so willingly welcomes us home into the house of God. It's what we sing each year, isn't it? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. Would you prepare him room? Because he's made a room for you. And it's the great irony of Christmas. To the world who didn't welcome their king, Jesus says, come and see. Come that I may welcome you. The house of God has come to earth and he invites us over to know God and to be known by God. So may we open our hearts to receive this King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray.